This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. We did an episode on dogs early on, so we owed one to cats. And what better time for a feline feature than the day of Halloween? But the cats were so philosophical that they demanded a special with several parts. Or should we say several paws? So welcome to our Halloween special. So today, I am talking with Sharonic about Alice Walker and cat. What does Alice Walker have to say about cat? Alice Walker writes about cats in this book called Anything We Love Can Be Saved, which I must say is one of the best book titles I've ever, you know, uh, encountered. Anything We Love Can Be Saved? It's It sounds, it has the ring of absolute truth, but it's also like such a difficult truth to embrace, I think. It implies that things we love are in danger. True. The book is an account of her activism, so I think it makes sense. And you do not do, or you're not activistic about things that you don't love or don't care about. So I guess that's where she's coming from. There is like one part of the book, which is, if not exclusively, it is mostly about cats, where she's talking about the experience of writing this book called The Temple of My Familiar. And You know, the word familiar is, of course, the, a reference to the way in which that word was used in with respect to witchcraft and this idea of an animal being really proximate to you in some kind of spiritual connection, if not your actual like consort in the act of witchcraft or something. So, and often familiars are cats. Often familiars are cats. And uh, when I was, you know, wee little boy, uh, and when I was reading Harry Potter, <laughs> I was reading Harry Potter and, you know, how when they go to Hogwarts uh-huh. and they are asked to choose, like they can bring one animal, either a cat or a toad or an owl or a rat. If I'm remembering correctly, it, the word familiar is never used. I've always wondered why. Yeah. I might be mistaken. Well, maybe because she doesn't want it to be like evil witchcraft, right? Familiars are associated with like evil bad true. witches. True, very true. So yeah, in in this in the book, Alice Walker talks about how uh, she says, I saw that our essential familiar is our own natural untamed wild spirit and that its temple is the cosmos that is freedom 
And so basically what she's saying that uh, a familiar is nothing but this. Some it's, it's something that embodies the untamed aspect of our spirit. One that doesn't quite get trotted down by whatever the strictures of civilization are. And if you have to imagine a kind of abode or like a house for that spirit, it has to be the most expansive ideation of house possible, which is you know the cosmos okay not the cat no okay so i think the cat is like she will come to the cat as particular instantiation of the idea of the familiar but she begins with the idea of the family familiar which is much more broad and she says that when she is writing this book in the process of writing this book she notices sudden certain changes in her environment in her surroundings and she says it seems like animals are suddenly everywhere whether i was in the country or the city animals were everywhere in my life and the first animal that appears is a cat so she says a watch cat watch as in like like a watchdog a watch cat walker says a watch cat appeared on my stoop in the city and remained there until the novel was done. Various other creatures, birds, deer, snakes, etc. were constant visitors in the country. The presence of these numerous animals seems so odd to me, but in an entirely lovely way that I wrote an essay about the experience called The Universe Response. Uh, What I really like about, you know, before we go on to the specific topic of cats, what I really like about how she's introducing this topic is that there are several meta-textual and meta-fictional levels at work here. So she's writing this novel, she wrote this novel, The Temple of My Familiar. She is here in this book, she is talking about the experience of writing that novel. She's referring to another essay, Mm -hmm. which she wrote about uh, animals Mm -hmm. responding to the act of writing the novel. So this, if you, if you read the book, the sense that you come away with is this, there is a massive uh, symphonic organization happening on all levels of the cosmos so that this novel can be written. And I think (laughs) <laughs> that's extraordinary because whenever I write something, nothing like this happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all of the texts are piling up and the universe is lining yeah. up at the same moment to make the same, to make the thing into the cat. Yes. But also, you know, just, I, I want to just keep harping on this point that while it is about a cat, it's not like it's everything is leading to the catness of the thing um so but into the like the conditions in which the animal is visible indeed what walker is pointing out is that i think what walker is sort of working against is i might be uh, off base here but i think what walker is working against is a narrow uh mercenary idea of literary production and she's expanding it to spiritual experience and you know, I myself in my life and my work am always wary about the word spiritual, but I think here it really works mm-hmm. because, you know, it's she doesn't have to say it out loud that, well, spiritual, not religious. It's not religious. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the spirituality of the experience sort of comes from this holistic thing that is happening. I was going to say the holistic proliferation of cats, but I knew you would tell me, no, it's not just the cats. <laughs> There are multiple cats and she talks about, she goes to, uh, she says like she's a neat freak. Actually, she uses the word neat nick, which I've never encountered before. She says, a neat nick to my soul, I will pick up trash anywhere. And I moved quickly. So she goes to pick up this unsight, some unsightly object that she had seen. And she realizes that it's a, it's a big tawny cat. She says the miniature lion lying at ease and calmly looking back at me. And so like, it's not that she doesn't take the cat home or anything, but like in the novel, um, there is one character who is reincarnated multiple times, Lissy, and one of the reincarnations is a lion. Um, oh. 
Yeah, so, so it's like um, what's really interesting and kind of beautiful about Walker describing her creative process is that it's never such and such things happened in my environment which decisively led to me writing this thing. It's always a kind of concatenation and coincidence. Concatenation. <laughs> okay, fine. I shouldn't object to cat puns in this episode. <laughs> no, I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> But it's it's like the coincidence of uh, beautiful th- things happening in nature and beautiful things happening on page. So Benjamin calls it constellation. Is this what he calls oh, constellation? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It's about constellation is like gestalt. It's like all of the things aligning in order to make the thing. Okay. Many of uh, Benjamin's ideas are spiritual. So yeah, and then like. Um, elsewhere. Yeah. So what is so where so when the cat appears, what happens? So the cat when the cat appears, I mean, there is an encounter with the cat, and she notices that it's a large tawny cat, and it's almost as if it's a miniature lion. But she she doesn't um she doesn't like so much interact with it. But she says, uh, I began to smile and fairly skipped along to my studio. And back in the studio, she completes a portion of the novel that she was thinking about. So the like the incidence of the cat is a kind of trigger for the creative mm. process to happen. Yeah, and then in another part, she talks about the several cats that she had had. Like there was a cat, she had a cat as a child and her family moved. Mm-hmm. And when before moving, her family was packing. And when they were packing, the cat failed to appear. So they were, it was just left behind. And uh, oh. yeah, it's it's really sad, and she missed it. You know, there were other uh, cats afterwards, which is one of them was uh, a cat called Willis, who had severe trust issues, very scared of everything, every little noise, every little little sound, and would cry all the time. Yeah. And oh. yeah, and it's it's kind of sad because she says that it I couldn't take it anymore, the constant, the literally the constant crying. So I took it outside and I left it there. A lot of abandoned cats, man. No, she doesn't leave it miles away from the house she just leaves it right outside the house and it just cries outside the house so when her partner comes back it's decided that you know that cat can't stay because like evidently it can't acclimatize to the experience so this is in new york city and a very loud yeah. part of New York City. And so evidently uh-huh. the cat cannot acclimatize to this part of New York City. So it's taken to the country where, uh, she says, in the utter peace of spacious woodlands and sunny skies, Willis mellowed into a rather laid-back country cat. This sounds like the lie that people tell their kids about, like, the dog went to the country. Right. I don't think it's one of those, you know, fantasy forms. It's <laughs> it's, it's actually her partner's sister's place. So it's definitely real. But, you know, the idea is that this cat was so there was this very jarring dissonance between her wanting to give a kind of love to this cat and that cat's complete inability to receive that love which resulted in the cat crying incessantly and her uh being you know sort of driven out of her mind and from that dissonance you have you know the cat becoming a really mellowed I think there's something going on about cats and the environment here. Cats just sort of appear when you are writing and they like, you know, they like cause the the writing process to like concatenate into being and then cats, you know, can't handle certain environments and they like freak out so that like cats are very tied to the landscape or something. Yes. And also I think that goes really well with, I think there are several ways in which the popular understanding of cat behavior has connotations of magic. I'm not just saying that, mm. you know, cats were reared by witches. 
or something. What I'm saying is that as opposed to dogs who have arguably more well-articulated reasons for what they do, cats often behave yeah. more weirdly. And, um, yeah, cats are. That's, they're spooky. That's why they're in our Halloween episode. Yes, they're spooky. And like, if there's the absence of causal relationship kind of le- leads to magical thinking in most circumstances. Mm. And I think that you're, you're very right. Like That's one of the things that Walker is doing in this essay. And one of the reasons why this essay, at least for me, was so evocative was that there are... Right at the point where you can draw a certain kind of causal relationship between environment and cat, Walker introduces mm. a kind of space. So there's always like mm. a layer of mystery. I don't want to, use, want to use the word mystery, but there's always a layer of magicality. Mysticism? <laughs> no, mysticism has negative connotations. How about pataphysics? Dude. What a cat word. I don't know. I don't. I have never thought about mysticism as unnecessarily negative word it's a negative word Mm -hmm. only in like the dogmatic christian orthodox sense i guess orthodox dogma would consider all kinds of mysticism as heresy or heresy adjacent oh no but i think people say it to mean like kind of silly spiritual oh okay 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 uh like a person wearing a lot of beads over crystal balls yeah maybe but you know there are other like she talks about another cat which is called tuscaloosa uh which means black warrior in choctaw and mm-hmm. um, so this cat appears when she had gone through a divorce. And, you know, she says, as is, cl- so this is a name that she gave uh, the cat. And she says, as okay. is clear from his name, I felt extremely vulnerable, suddenly all alone in the big city and very much in need mm-hmm. of protection. So it's like, so there's like this, again, there's this aligning of what the cat is or what the cat represents and what's going on in her life. It's a good name for a cat. Yes, but I mean, that cat also doesn't quite, it doesn't feel at home. And so that cat is also, and especially because uh, she says that that was the time when in order to cope with her trauma, she learned how to meditate. And she says, I had also learned that any, so when she meditates, she's very still, she's very calm. And she says, I'd also learned that any still calmly breathing warm object with a lap immediately attracts the leap of a cat. (laughs) Which is a really funny sentence. I wonder about the home, the question of what is at home, because I remember this is a thing that came up when we were doing our dogs episode, the idea that you have to remind yourself that there is something else that is at home there looking back at you. And there are, you know, sort of somewhat wild beasts that share our home. I think one of the things that are happening is that that kind of liminal space between home and outside doesn't exist in New York City. That in itself, I think, is jarring and not at all conducive to the cat feeling any kind of settledness. Um, Yeah. Cat is still a liminal figure, even though that liminal space doesn't exist. And that's part of why it's not at home. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of pain uh, on Walker's part in connection with the cats because either when she can not provide the love that this cat needs or if her love is being rejected by the cat in both cases she is feeling a lot of pain and i think that pain represents the acuteness with which she is aware of the fact that there is something at home inside this being which is looking bad at her and she like she does she never instrumentalizes the cat which is something that is really very apparent in the book there's a lot of respect for this completely different entity uh, which is just not matching up to the way that she is living her life at that point the final cat the final cat 
one cat is called Frida. She okay. is a two-year-old. After the painter. Yes. So she's a two-year-old, long-haired calico with big yellow eyes and one orange leg. And she's named after Frida Kahlo. And Walker says, I could only hope she'd one day exhibit some of Kahlo's character. That despite her horrendous kittenhood, she would, like Kahlo, develop into being of courage, passion, and voice. <laughs> She have a horrendous kittenhood. <laughs> the horrendous kittenhood. Again, I think like Walker attracted really, really bad cats. No, I don't want to. Okay, we are not going to use the word bad. I think Walker attracted cats with a lot to say. <laughs> and so describing Frida at first, Walker says she is an exceedingly garrulous cat. And then she says, because being an activist means I travel a lot, sometimes to other cities and countries, but also between my city and country homes. So she took Frida everywhere. And... She says, I have memories of careening around mountain calves with Frida terrified stuck to my neck. Which sounds terrifying. Oh, dude. Do you mean she's driving? I don't know if she, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know if she's driving. Probably she is driving, but the cat is like around her neck and it's like a mountainous course. Sounds terrifying on so many levels. But she is um, living dangerously with this garrulous cat. Um, yeah. Living dangerously with Alice and Frida. Because of all of these experiences, she decides to leave Frida home, but she would be gone for months. And when she would come back, Frida would be at some neighbor's house. And then she would come back after a few days and ignore Alice mm-hmm. on the whole. By the time Frida would warm towards her, Alice would leave again. The tragedy is of misalignment in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> and and then this is beautiful this one she says one day i noticed that frida understood english <laughs> frida understood english i think then walker notices the gradual or walker herself gradually becomes aware of the reach of frida's communication so you know little things in english she understands she recognizes the sound of her car and so now the essay ends at some kind of present and so now she accompanies me into the house asking for milk and when i'm back from a trip she would look at me as if to say you know where were you anyhow what took you so long and and so the essay ends with the sentence in the morning when i wake up she's already out outside quietly sitting on the railing eyes closed meditating so i think it's not like she or her influence has calmed frida down but again like there's some kind of alignment has been reached and you know some kind of alignment has happened at some kind of cosmic level cosmic alignment with cats yeah i think there is something there about the cat as this i want to say inscrutable but that's not quite what i mean it wouldn't be quite as surprising if she noticed that a dog understood English, right? Yeah. We expect our dogs to come when they are called. But the establishing of communication with the cat suggests something about the cat is a presence that refuses refuses yeah. human ways of knowing, which is makes it all the more astonishing that it creates this kind of cosmic alignment. That kind of cosmic alignment, and I, you know, say this phrase very deliberately, knowing that this phrase has been used in a kind of throwaway way so many times in the history of Mm. the English language. Again, it happens, if not by accident, it also happens with a certain degree of independence from human agency. Um, So that's, I think, what is really beautiful here. The cat has its own subjectivity that is decidedly, affirmatively outside of human subjectivity, yet right there. Yes, it's separate but proximate. What can be really frustrating, it's so close, but we don't understand it. So I think, yeah, that's something that's definitely there in what Walker is trying to say. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about Alice Walker's cat. And don't forget to vote.
If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.